But I, I wanted to begin this morning. Uh, we were going to do this last week, so you know we're going to do it now. We're going to, and we're, we're going to do it for the next few weeks here. But I want to ask you a question: How many of you here today are familiar with the kids' game "Follow the Leader"? How many of you have ever played "Follow the Leader"? Okay, so there's quite a few of you here that have played "Follow the Leader." Well, it goes like this: you know, one kid will be chosen to be the leader, and he or she would set off on a path to adventure and everyone else had to make the choice as to whether or not they were going to follow or not follow the leader. And so I can tell you from experience, because I did it quite a few times as a kid, some kids who were chosen, I would willingly follow them. The reason why I would follow them is because I trusted them. I knew that they were not going to take me to places that were dangerous or get me hurt or get me into trouble. But when others were selected as leaders, I would cringe and others would cringe. And I'm, I'm, I hate to say this, but I might have been one of those that they cringed about. And sometimes we would choose not to follow that person. But there were other times... I would follow anyway just to be a rebel. You know what I'm saying? You know, and, and this all in, uh, at about six or seven years of age, you know, you're wanting to be a daredevil, be a rebel, you know, and, and didn't care about the outcome. But, you know, follow the leader is quite a silly kid's game. But if you think about the game itself, I think that it has really a lot of great meaning for us in our lives. And it reminds me of the story about this high school graduate. Um, she, she wanted to apply for some colleges, and so she was completing this application for, for college, and, the, and there was a question on the application that made her heart sink. She goes, oh, I'm going to have to answer this question. I want to answer this. The question was this, do you see yourself as a leader or a follower? And even though she wanted to write leader, honesty got the better of her. And so what she did was she wrote follower. When she sent her application in, she said, I, I doubt I'm going to hear back from them because, you know, she expected the worst. So, but see, to her surprise, she received an acceptance letter in the, in the mail from this college uh, a few weeks later with this note attached to the, the acceptance letter. And the note said this. It said, it appears that this year our college will have 1,452 new leaders. <laughs> we are accepting you because we feel it's imperative that they all have at least one follower. <laughs> so, so if you get the, if you get the drift there, but anyway, you know, the truth is this. Every single one of us in this room is following something or someone. We're all following something or someone. You know, some people, following the footsteps of their family. They, they, they just take that business, you know, they, they just, it's, it's like a generational thing. They, they just follow with their family. You know, some follow a philosophy of life, you know, like the golden rule. You know, some people believe that. Matthew chapter 7, verse 12, you know, and, and so they, they, they follow that, that golden rule. Do unto others as you would have them to do unto you. That's what it says. So while others follow their own intuition or philosophy or religion or family or friends, they do whatever they feel is right in their own eyes. But the question I have today for each of you is, what about you? 
Who do you follow? Or what do you follow? You don't have to answer that question. I just want to know. You know, I want you to think about that. Who do you follow? What do you follow? Because that's going to be important for us over the next 15 or 16 weeks. We're going to talk about that. As Christians, we are by definition what? Are we? Is that what we are? Okay. Well, we'll see, I guess. Because that's what it is. We're disciples of Christ. A disciple is a learner, a follower. And so that's what we are. Unfortunately, many churchgoers today, I I would describe them as more like fans than they are followers. Um, we, We may wear a cross, but more times than not, we don't bear the cross. Just think about that for a minute. You know, you come to church, we know all the songs, we open our Bibles, we take notes, we all do, you know, we do that. Um, we walk out and we go to our car, and maybe your car has one of those those Jesus fishes on the bumper, you know, the ichthus thing, you know, on your bumper there, we say grace before we eat our lunch. But that doesn't necessarily make you a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, you know that? I don't know if you knew that or not, but that it doesn't make us a, a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. See, in the Jewish culture, whenever a young aspiring disciple set off to follow his chosen rabbi, the rabbi was his teacher. That's who that was. The, the family often had a traditional blessing that they would say to that person as they would follow their rabbi. They would say, may you be covered in the dust of your rabbi. That's what they would say to them. In other words, may you follow in the footsteps of your rabbi so closely that you were covered in the sand kicked up by his sandals. That's what it meant. So this is a, I think this is exactly what Jesus has called us to do. That's what he's called us to do. To follow in his footsteps, to teach what he has taught, and to do what he did and to live the way he lived. And... We know that because we're, we're, we've read the scripture. We know what Jesus did. We have the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, to be able to find out what Jesus did and to follow him. Now, obviously, Jesus isn't standing here in front of you. He isn't standing here. We can't physically follow him the way that his early disciples did, can we? We just can't. Not like they did. And, you know, if you've been here on Wednesday nights to see The Chosen, you know, it's really given me a, a, a quite a different perspective of the life of Jesus. And I really wish that I could have been in that era. I don't care about all the necessities and all the things that we have, the, 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 the things that make life easier. I would have loved to have just had him give me a hug. I mean, that's, it's so, it's so interesting how they portray him and how lovingly and compassionate he is. We can't physically follow him that way like the early disciples did, but that's why Peter tells us in 1 Peter, notice what he says here. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21, he says, to this you were called. He says, to this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. 
that each one of us should follow in the footsteps of Christ. That's what he wants us to do. And that's why God gave us the gospel message so that we could read the gospels, so that we could study them, so that we could memorize them. How many of you are doing your memorization? Okay, how many of you have got the first two scriptures down? Anybody? Okay, you want to try it? <laughs> well, we're going to have someone do it at the end of the month, so get ready. I've got mine down too. But, you know, that's why we, we study it, we memorize it, and we discover how Jesus lived and how Jesus loved. That's what I want to do. So that we can do the same thing. So that we can be like Christ. There's no greater goal in life, I believe, than to try to be like Jesus. And so that's what he wants us to do. He wants us to, he wants us to be like him. So in order for us to follow Jesus more closely, it's imperative that we see him more clearly, that we enlarge our vision of who Jesus is and how Jesus lived. You know, it's kind of interesting because I've been to some churches that you can go through a whole church service and not hear the name of Jesus mentioned one time. Uh, but then there's other churches that I've been to that just about every other word that comes out of their mouth is about Jesus, which is great. Um, so from now on until Easter, at least till past Easter, I'll, I'm going to invite you to join me. We're going to take this journey of following, following him, following Jesus through the pages of the Gospel of Mark. How many of you have ever read the book of Mark? Okay, if you read through the Bible last year, you read through the book of Mark. So we're going to have you read through that again this year. We're not going to hit every section of Mark, but I want to try to hit some of the important points in following Jesus you know, it, Mark is one of the shortest Gospels of all the four Gospels. It's only 16 chapters long. You could sit down and read through the Gospel of Mark in probably an hour, hour and a half maybe, if you're a slow reader like I am. You know, but, it, but it's a simple, it's, a, it's, a, it's the shortest Gospel. It's also the first written. I mean, it, it's not the first one in the Bible that we see. We have Matthew, then Mark, but as far as, the historical aspect of it, it was the first gospel written, and it was written around, right around 45 A.D. It was written by John Mark, who was the nephew of who? Anybody know? Barnabas. That's right, of Barnabas. So Mark traveled with his uncle Barnabas, and he, had tra he also traveled with the apostle Peter. Now, if you remember, on one of Paul's missionary journeys, he turned John Mark away. Um, and didn't want him to go with him. But Barnabas, the encourager that he was, picked up and, and took John Mark with him. And, and Peter joined that on, on early on in the missionary journey. So Mark listened as Peter would preach about Jesus from town to town. And what he did was he wrote everything down in this, this form of a fast-paced story, almost like this popular novel. That's what he did. Uh, making it the ideal starting point for anyone wishing to follow in the footsteps of Jesus. So that's what I wanted to do. That's what I want to do this year as, as the beginning of our year to start our year off is following in the footsteps of Jesus, and we're going to do it according to Mark. So if you got your Bibles, let's open up. We're going to look at Mark chapter 1. Let's begin with verse 1 there. It says, In the beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, 
Okay, look at this, guys. Look at this. I will send my messenger ahead of you, so you will prepare, so he who will prepare the way, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. How many of you have read that? How many of you know that? That is um, one of our memory verses for this month. <laughs> Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3. And so that, that's one of our memory verses. So, and so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. He says, after me comes the, the, the one more powerful than I am, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. He says, I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And it says, just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my son, whom I love. And he says, with you, I am well pleased. So, that was from the, the New International Version. Mark begins these words, with these words from Mark chapter 1, verse 1. And this is from the New Living Translation. He says, this is good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the, the Son of God. This, this is good news. Mark tells us that, you know. And so what Mark does at the very beginning of his gospel message here, what he does is Mark offers us this three fold introduction to to Jesus beginning with the the expectancy and the excitement and the hopefulness that we find in Jesus Christ that's what we find there and so the old testament was was filled with prophecies about the coming of Jesus Christ the messiah remember back at christmas time we talked about a lot of those from isaiah from micah you know you know, we just celebrated that four weeks ago uh, about the expectancy of Christ um, coming and, and uh, arriving. And, and, and so Isaiah wrote about it, Micah wrote about it, even Father Abraham looked forward to that day, as did Isaac and Jacob and Moses and David. They all looked forward to that, the coming of the Messiah. They, they all saw it coming. They just didn't know exactly when it was going to happen. But they saw it coming. And as if the prophets provided an advent calendar, they didn't have any numbers or dates on it. That's it. That's the way it was. But all of these prophecies, what they did was they built this expectation, this, this hopefulness, this anticipation of this coming Messiah who would be Jesus Christ. No prophet wrote in more detail than the prophet Isaiah you know, Mark begins by pointing this out. We just talked about that. Out of the fulfillment of one of Isaiah's prophecies. From Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3, which is this month's memory verse. One of them. 
It began just as the prophet Isaiah had written. Look, he says, I, I am sending my messenger ahead of you, and he will prepare your way. He is the voice shouting in the wilderness, prepare the way for the, the Lord's coming. Clear the road for him. That's what he says. And that's exactly what happened. The messenger was who? It was John the Baptist. And he was in the wilderness and, and he preached baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. That was, that's what he preached. And so all of Judea, and including all the, the people of Jerusalem, they would go out to see and to hear John. And, and when they confessed their sins, he would baptize them in the Jordan River. And this is what it says in, Isaiah, in Mark chapter 1, verses 3 through 6. It says, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him. They went out there. Confessing their sins, they were baptized in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. What a diet. Wow, man. Locusts and wild honey. How many of you have ever eaten locusts? I don't think I have, but a little over 700 years before Christ came, the prophet Isaiah predicted that a forerunner shouting in the wilderness would prepare the way for the Lord's coming. What do you think the chances would be for just that one prophecy coming true? The number would be astronomical for that one prophecy, and it did. Then at, at, the, at the time in Jewish history, when expectation and anticipation for the Messiah's arrival reached its highest level, God sent John, a simple man dressed in camel's hair, eating locusts, to prepare the people for the coming of Jesus. That's what he did. You know, see, in, in those days, an announcer or a herald always preceded someone important in, in the Roman Empire. They would always go before them. When the herald arrived it would in town, the people knew that someone of prominence would soon arrive. And, and that's what John did for Jesus. That's exactly what he did. You know, his, his call to clear the road for him, to make straight the path for him, what that meant was urging the people to give up their, their selfish ways of living, to renounce their sins, to seek God's forgiveness, and, and establish this, this new relationship to establish this new relationship and, and forgiveness and, and renewal, preparing people's hearts to receive the, the, the Savior. That's what it was all about. You know, so, so they were seeking God's forgiveness, you know, and, and establishing this new relationship with God through faith and obedience in Jesus Christ. And so John prepared people by calling them to confess their sins, repent, and be baptized. That's what he was telling them. That's what it says there in the Scripture. The Jews often baptized non-Jews who converted to Judaism. That was a custom that shortly began after the Babylonian captivity. But John took this existing custom and he gave it a new meaning. Baptism became a visible sign of repentance and forgiveness 
and renewal, preparing people's hearts to receive the Savior. You know, people who don't know Jesus need that. They need to be prepared to be able to meet Jesus. That's that. I can't imagine having not been able to do that going into eternity. We need to be able to prepare people to meet him. Like John, I think that we can prepare the way by explaining their need for forgiveness, demonstrating Christ's teaching in, in our own lives. Your, your life can be the perfect example of who Jesus is. You know that, right? Just by living the way he lived. It, it's a perfect example you know, we can clear the road and make straight the path for him by removing barriers and, and correcting misconceptions that, that might prevent someone from approaching Jesus. You know, someone, someone you know may be open and ready for a relationship. Do you have anyone that you're working with or that you know that might be open to a relationship with Jesus? Think about that. As Christians, that should be on our scope all the time, looking for people that don't know Jesus and sharing Christ, the good news with them. And we've talked about that many times before. And, and for some of us, it's really difficult to do because we're not that, we're not those people persons, you know. We're not that open. We, 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 we struggle with that. But there are other ways that you can, you can present Christ to, to people so that they know who he is. So, like John, we can prepare the way for the Lord's coming. And, and, and just, an added thought to this, if you haven't already, you too, if you haven't given your life over to the Lord, you can prepare your heart to meet Jesus. You can do that. And so as we continue through this first chapter, what happens here is, is Martin moves from this expectation, this excitement, this, this hope, hopefulness of, of seeing Jesus, getting to know Jesus, to this proclamation. He proclaims, he proclaims, this proclamation or this announcement of who Jesus is. That's what we move to. John, I believe that John is a very charismatic and a dynamic man of God that, that many people, you know, begin to wonder, maybe John himself is the Messiah. They started thinking that. And so what John does is he sets the record straight with them. Notice what he says there. He says, and this was the me his message. He says, after me comes the one more powerful than I am, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. You know, when, when John finally announces, when he finally announces the coming of Jesus, what he does here is he highlights two dimensions of the Messiah. He highlights his worth, and he highlights his work. And this is the way Jesus, or um, John sums up Jesus' worth. He says, greater. He is greater than I am. He is greater than I am. He is so much greater that I am not even worthy to lace up his sandals. That's how much more worthy he is. Many of you know, I'm assuming you know Muhammad Ali. Do you guys know Muhammad Ali? Well, there he is. <laughs> yeah. Well, he's the boxing legend. And he often declared himself to be what? 
I am the greatest, you know. Fly like a butterfly, sting like a what? A bee, yes. That's, that was, that's what he would say. Well, there was this one occasion where Muhammad Ali was flying to a, a fight and he refused to buckle a seatbelt, okay? And so the flight attendant was insisting that Muhammad Ali buckle his seatbelt. And he looked up at the lady and he said, Superman don't need no seatbelt. <laughs> to which the attendant replied, well, Superman don't need no airplane either, so buckle it up, buddy. <laughs> that's, what, that's, what he, that's, what, that's what she told Muhammad Ali. I, I would have loved to have been there to hear that, that message there. That would have been great. You know, Muhammad Ali may have been a, a great boxer, maybe one of all times, but compared to Jesus, Ali isn't even worthy to lace up Jesus' gloves. Not even, not even close. You know, we sing along with Chris Tomlin. You know, our God is greater. Our God is stronger. Our God is higher than any other. Our God is healer, awesome in power. Our God, he's our God. You know, and it's true. Jesus is absolutely greater than any other. You know, the, the greatest event in human history was the coming of Jesus into this world. And I just thank God. I don't know about you, but we, every single day we should thank God for that, that he, that he was willing to send Jesus into this world. You know, the greatest event in human history was Jesus coming to this world. The greatest words ever spoken were his words. The greatest deeds ever done were accomplished by his hands. The greatest gift ever offered was his blood at Calvary. Jesus stands alone in all of history as the single greatest person to ever live. That's right. In addition to the worth of Jesus, John also announces the work of of Jesus. You know, he says that Jesus would baptize people not with water, but with the Holy Spirit. You know, Jesus would immerse believers in the Holy Spirit, sending the Spirit to live within each one of us. You know, John's baptism was a, was a water baptism, preparing a person's heart to receive Jesus, who then, you know, who, who then pours out his Spirit into us. You know, it's through his Spirit that Jesus offers us both forgiveness of sin, and what he also offers us is the power to be able to live for him. So what does John mean when he, when he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit? Well, I believe that John was prophesying about what would happen after Jesus completed his work on earth and he would ascend into heaven. You know, he would send his Holy Spirit, and that's exactly what happened. You know, it was a, time, a little bit of time later that the apostle Peter, on the day of Pentecost, he gets up, and he, you know, and he responds to this question that was asked by the people that were listening to his message there on the day of Pentecost. Do you remember that? Yeah, they, they, they're saying, what must we do? How can we correct all this stuff that we have done that has led us up to this point? Because Jesus has been crucified and we were partly responsible for that. And so they were cut to the heart, it says. And so they asked Peter and the other apostles, what must we do? And I didn't put this one on here, Chrissy, because I wanted everybody to open their Bibles up and look at this one. Open your Bibles up to Acts chapter 2. This is what Peter tells us that we need to do. This is what Peter told those people back then 
what they needed to do to correct the situation. This is what he says. And I'm going to read back to 37. It says, when all the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And this is what Peter says. Peter replied, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ so that your sins may be forgiven and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are afar off. That's us. We are the ones that are afar off. For all whom the Lord our God will call. See see the difference in, in John's baptism and Peter's baptism? Do you see the difference there? There's, there's quite a bit of difference there. John's baptism was a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. That's what his was. We, we just read it. Peter's baptism was a baptism of repentance as well for the forgiveness of sins as well as John's. But the element that's missing was what Peter said so that you can receive the gift, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And so under John, the Holy Spirit had not yet been given through baptism because Jesus was still there with them. Jesus said when he leaves, he will send the comforter, and that's what he does. Once he departed, the Holy Spirit came to indwell each follower who will give their lives to Jesus in the watery graves of baptism. That's pretty plain to me right there. And that's the very beginning of the church. That's where the, This is where the church is starting right here, folks. The church hadn't started yet, but it, right there's where it starts. And so that's what Peter says. Those people asked, Peter told them what they needed to do. His worth is greater than words can express, and his work is changing lives by the power of his Holy Spirit. That's what it's all about. And so finally... Following the expectancy and the excitement and the the hopefulness, plus this proclamation and this announcement of Jesus, what Mark does is he highlights the baptism and the anointing of Jesus. That's what he, he highlights this. So after months of ministry along the Jordan River, what happens is John finally comes face to face with the Messiah that he, he anticipated and he, he had announced. And so this is what Mark writes. He says, He says, at the time Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan, just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove and a voice came from heaven. Would that scare the living daylights out of you? It did, it did the shepherds when the angels came, you know, the night that Jesus was born. It scared, you know, they, they fell to their faces. And, and the, the voice says this, you are my son whom I love with you. I am well pleased. Wow. Stepping down into the rust colored river that was the, the lifeblood of the people there. Jesus waded through the muddy stream as it churned around his waist, you know, the cool mud squishing up between his toes, you know, <laughs> in the river there. Because I heard the, the, the river Jordan is, is pretty muddy. It can be anyway. What an awe-inspiring sight this must have been to behold. And, and, and perhaps 
Maybe a bit confusing too, especially for John. See, Jesus' baptism is one of the most significant moments, I believe, in history. And any attempt to unravel its mystery and and majesty ought to be seen for what it is, a human perception of a heavenly event. But we can't help but ask some questions here. You know, John preached a baptism of repentance for forgiveness of sins, but Jesus, Jesus had no sin. Does that make sense to you? Jesus had no sin. He was sinless. He was spotless. He was perfect. But as Jesus descended into the water, he came down to our level. Remember that song? It would have been in our day. He came down to my level because I couldn't get up to his. You know, it's, it's that concept. I think that, was that the Imperials? I, I think it was. Yeah. He came down to our level because we couldn't get up to his. And so through his baptism, what Jesus was doing here is Jesus identified himself with you and with me. See, baptism was for the immoral. It was for the impure. It was for the liars. It was for the adulterers. It was for the the thieves. And yet, Jesus willingly plunged into the water as if to say, I'm with you. I am here and I am with you and I am for you. And so he came to the river because we are sinners. He came to that river because we are sinners. He was washed because we are not clean. And he did what was right because we often do what is wrong. In other words, what happened there is he became like us so that we could become like him. Amen? That's what happened. By allowing John to baptize him, Jesus showed support for John's ministry, for John's message. He identified with with our humanness. And he gave us an example to follow. That's what Jesus did. But as mysterious and intriguing as Jesus' baptism was, what happened next was kind of, actually, I think it was kind of mind-blowing. You know, as if the sky were a curtain, the heavens parted, and a river of light, you know, tumbled down to earth. You know, the crowd came to see and to hear this wild-eyed preacher from the desert But what they see next probably hasn't ever been seen before. What they hear had never been heard before. And the Holy Spirit, the breath of God, who hovered above the waters at the beginning of creation, drifts down from heaven like a dove, and it falls upon Jesus. And just then, the voice of God, the voice of God, that called into the endless darkness and said, let there be light, echoed through the wilderness like a proud father. You are my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. The New Living Translation says, this is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. I like that translation as well. All three persons of the Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, converge at this moment in this place. That's what they did. This is the baptism and the anointing of Jesus. 
they converge all together. The Father encourages the Son. The Spirit empowers the Son. This anointing marked the beginning of Jesus' public ministry. His mission. What was his mission? To save the world. That's right. That was his mission. To save the lost. To save the world. And so I think that that is quite a mission. And so, and so from this day <coughs> forward, nothing would ever be the same. Absolutely nothing would ever be the same. Just imagine standing at the river's edge witnessing the magnificence, uh, magnificence of this moment. Before you stands this figure, you know, Jesus goes down the water. He comes up like everybody else would. He's sopping wet. Probably the loose strands of his hair plastered on his face as he comes up out of the water, and yet so consuming that, that you know, you, you just instantly know that nothing else on this earth matters. Nothing matters. Forget the stock market. Forget that school report that you got to do. Forget that. You know, sales meetings. Forget the football game that's going to be on today, the three of them that are going to be on today. It doesn't matter because I can't get it anyway. You know, nothing is newsworthy. All that matters, matters no more, for Christ has come. That's what matters. And this, this is the Jesus we are called to follow. What a, what a great way to start out the year, to follow Jesus. With an introduction like that, that Mark gives to Jesus there, who wouldn't want to follow Jesus? Who wouldn't want to follow him? The question is, what about you? Because see, I can stand up here and talk all I want until I'm blue in the face, and that would look kind of funny. But see, it doesn't matter about the whole crowd as much as it matters just about you. You as an individual. What about you? What about you? Have you felt the expectancy, the, the excitement, the hopefulness of Jesus? Have you done that? Have you prepared the way? Have you cleared the road for Jesus to come into your life? Have you believed the proclamation, this announcement about Jesus? Do you recognize Jesus' greatness? Have you embraced the Holy Spirit? You know, have you joined Jesus in the watery graves of baptism? Have you done that? You know, our journey is to follow Jesus, and it begins right at the river's edge. That's where it begins, and that's where we are right now, right at the river's edge as we begin. You know, Kyle Eidelman, I don't have the book here, it's in my desk, but Kyle Eidelman, he's the preacher out at Southeast Christian Church. It's a church of like 30,000 people. He wrote this book a few years ago called Not a Fan. Anybody ever read that book, Not a Fan? Okay. In that, he says this. He says, have you made a decision for Jesus or have you committed to Jesus? That's the question he asked. Let me say that again. He says, have you made a decision for Jesus or have you committed to Jesus? He says there is a difference. There shouldn't be, but there's a difference. Many have made a decision to believe in Jesus without making a commitment to follow Jesus. But the gospel allows for no such distinction. Biblical belief is more than verbal acknowledgement. That's what he says. Many fans have repeated a prayer or raised their hands or, or have walked forward at the end of a sermon and made a decision to believe, 
but there was never a commitment to follow. Jesus never offered such an option. Did you know that? He never offered such an option. What he is looking for is he, he is looking for more than words of belief. He's looking to see how those words are lived out in every single one of our lives in this room. That's what he's, that's what he's looking for. When we decide to believe in Jesus without making a commitment to follow him, what we do is we become like fans, not real followers. Do you want to be a fan or do you want to be a follower? The title of this series that I'm doing for the, for the next many weeks is called Where He Leads Me, I Will Follow. The question as the band comes on up this morning and we close our time together is this. Will you follow him this year with every part of your life, not just a little bit of your life, but every single part, 100% of your life? If you need to make a decision to do that, we're going to give you the opportunity to come this morning.